We're going to read from the book of Hebrews, um, and we're reading chapter 11 this morning, although we're not reading all of it because it's a fairly long chapter, but you'll get the gist. You've heard the paraphrase of it already. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. By faith, Abel brought a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By, by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were his heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise." And so from one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the sand on the seashore. All of these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of a country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. And then to verse 32. What more shall I say? I don't have time to talk about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jepheth, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, and shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Then there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. 
Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what was promised, since God had planned something even better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Amen. This is where our translation slightly let us down because I, I used the children's translation for the memory verse, and now this is the NIV, but it's the same verse. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That's a key verse. And it's what starts Hebrews chapter 11. Now, again, it's important to remember who this verse is written to. Remember what we'd said about the folk that this letter arrives to. They are Christians who are fed up. They're tired. And that image that chapter 12 will bring us of them with their feeble arms and their weak knees. And we said that that's often how we feel, isn't it? They're sort of… they're exhausted. They've been witnessing for Christ, and nobody's listening. In fact, they're getting picked on and laughed at and jeered and persecuted, and a lot of them have just had enough. And so, some of them have even stopped going to church, stopped going to the meetings. I've just, just, I want an easy life. Just, just don't want to be like that anymore. In the past, it was different. We're told in the previous chapter these words, you endured a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. You suffered with those in prison. You, you, and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Now, this is important because what this is saying is you were able to endure really, really difficult things in the present because you had a confidence that you had something better in the future. Possessions that you could not lose. Faith is confident about what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It's hope. Hope in the future that enables us to keep going with Christ when things are hard. Now, of course, there are some alternatives to hope, and I, I give you two of them. One is to have no hope. To have no hope. You know, sometimes uh, when things are tough, I have people saying to me, and, and I even have Christians saying, well, you've just got to keep going there's no choice. Have you said that? Have you felt that? I've just got to keep going. There's, there's, there's really no choice. But here's the terrifying thing. There actually is a choice. 
And that's to not keep going. I've been reading recently uh, a little bit about slavery and, uh, and the involvement of this country of Scotland in, in the transatlantic slave trade. It's quite an eye-opening thing. And one of the things I was reading about was, was ships that went from, from, from Britain and they went down the African coast and they would buy slaves and they would transport them across to Jamaica. And they had a problem because they paid quite a lot of money for these slaves. And this, this is the sort of mercenary way that they looked at it. And they had to get them in a healthy condition to the slave markets. And that was difficult because the conditions on the boats were so bad that many of the slaves would die on the slave route. But there was something else that was a big problem because it wasn't just the terrible conditions. It was that many of the slaves gave up hope and jumped overboard. Why did they do that? You think they might have said, well, it's, it's bad, but we just have to keep going. There's no choice. But actually, when you have lost everything and your present conditions are miserable and all you can look forward is to things being even worse, there is no hope. Now, of course, lots of people cross oceans in terrible circumstances, particularly in the past. People are still doing that today, aren't they? We see it on our televisions as we see people getting into boats and risking an awful lot to cross a channel to get to a country where they're looking for asylum. And they're doing that because they're looking for a welcome. They're looking for a safe place. They're looking for a future. They're looking for a changed life. And that makes them endure the sufferings and the tragedies of the ocean. And by the way, there should be a safe place and a hope for them, shouldn't there? You don't need to be a football pundit to know that hope. To a dejected and defeated and demoralized Christian people who are going through difficult times, the, the letter says, you have a hope. You have a sure, a certain hope of the future promised by God. But there's another alternative. You can have hope, which we're going to talk about, you can have hopelessness, but another alternative is just to live for the moment. Forget the future, just enjoy what you've got right now. Has anyone seen the, the, the film Dead Poet Society? Robin Williams. Many folk have seen it? Right, your homework, if you haven't seen it, is to go and watch it, because it's, uh, it's one of the best films. Uh, I can lend you the DVD if you want it. But Robin Williams is a teacher, and he's struggling, like many teachers do, to inspire a bunch of cynical boys that really don't want to learn poetry. Um, I can't believe why people wouldn't want to learn poetry. But maybe if Robin Williams was teaching you, you would want to learn poetry. But anyway, what he does is he takes them out to the school trophy room, and there's pictures of every class going back to the 1800s there. And he shows them these, these pictures of the past, of their ancestors going all the way back. And he quotes a poem as they do it. And the poem says, Gather ye roadsbirds while ye may. Old time is a 
moving, and all the same flowers that smell today, tomorrow is a dying. And he says to them, look at all these photos of the past. Look at all the hopes that they had. Look at all the energy they had. And here's the bad news. They're all dead. They're all pushing up daisies. And the point that Robin Williams is making to his boys is this. You better live for the moment. Carpe diem is the Latin phrase. It means seize the day. Just live for today. Do your best today because tomorrow you're dead. Now there's one way of living without hope. Just, just enjoy the moment. In fact, the Bible talks about folk who say, eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you die. There you are. Live for the moment. So two alternatives that get you not thinking about a future hope. One is to be hopeless, and the other is just to enjoy the moment. The trouble with enjoying the moment in carpe diem and not having a future hope is there is a tendency to concentrate on things that are very short-term. There's a tendency to be incredibly selfish. Why care about the planet? We're all dead. Why do I care about what happens in 300 years' time if I'm not going to be there to see it? I just live for the moment. Hopelessness, despair, or living for the moment? Well, it wouldn't surprise you when I say neither of those things are ways that Christians should live. Because we have a hope that allows us to live for the moment because of the future. We live for the moment because of the future. Now, in one side of that, that hope is, is fairly obvious. We have the hope of eternal life. We believe because Jesus died and rose again that we too, as Paul says, shall also rise again to the newness of life. Therefore, we do not despair. We are not without hope because we believe in eternal life. But I want to suggest you to, to, uh, that that's actually not quite enough. It's more than that. Karl Marx, um, the founder of communism, looked at religion and he said, you know, there's a problem with this eternal life hope. Because what you can end up saying to people is, you know, things are miserable, the rich people have got all the money, the poor people have been treated badly, there's racism, there's, there's, there's class divisions, but you know, you don't have to worry because there's a better world coming. You don't have to do anything about it because when you die, you go to heaven and just look forward to that. And he called religion like that the opium of the people. What that really meant is they had a hope for the future which left them doing nothing just now because what's the point? We're all going to go to heaven, so let's just look forward to that and let's not bother changing the world around us. Let's not bother changing the social conditions. And so he called religion the opiate of the people that puts them to sleep. And I want to say that is certainly not what the book of Hebrews is talking about. What the book of Hebrews is talking about is a hope in the promises of God that doesn't put us to sleep. It's a hope in the promises of God that makes us active in the present because of the future hope. That means we will not put up with the junk in the world today because we know this world is destined for better things. Because we know we are destined for better things. Because we know God has a purpose and a plan. And therefore, we will look. And that's one of the reasons why we have to really take the whole of the Bible seriously. Sometimes people just look for the verse that says, I, I, I'm going to heaven, that's fine. 
but reach for the whole thing. Yes, in the face of death, we have something to proclaim. We proclaim the sure and the certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life in Jesus Christ. But we have more to say in that. In the face of people's tears, we have the prophetic hope that one day the Lord will dry tears, and therefore we weep with those who weep, we mourn with those who mourn, and we comfort God's people right now in the world that they're in. In the face of injustice, we have a message that there will be justice on the earth because one day the Lord will return and bring in that perfect justice. And therefore, right now, we work for justice in this world because justice matters, because right matters and righteousness matters. In the face of bitterness, we proclaim that in Christ, the boundaries are brought down, Jew and Gentile. And therefore, we work, as Paul says, for the ministry of reconciliation. We are in the business of giving people good news and hope, and we are in the business of working for a world where people experience mercy and no forgiveness in a bitter world. In the face of racism, we speak of the day that the Lord has promised when all the nations will come to Him. And therefore, for that reason, we believe that everybody Everybody matters, and we leave none behind. In the face of a planet that is being abused and neglected, we speak of the fact that God has given us a promise that one day He will renew this world, and therefore it is not going to be written off and destroyed, and therefore Christians should be at the foremost point of creation care, of environmental concern. All of these things matter because of our future hope. In chapter 11, what the writer does is, like Robin Williams, he takes us out into this big corridor, and he shows us our ancestors. But not just to say, oh, they're all dead now, so you better live a good life. He shows something else. He says every single one of them had hope. Every single one of them glimpsed something of the future. They didn't see as much as we have who have the revelation in Jesus Christ. But God spoke, as this is the beginning of the book of Hebrews, through our ancestors and prophets in various ways. But He has now spoken to us through His Son. So we know even more about God's future. All of them were commended for their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. And we go through all the ancestors in this chapter. Abel, the second son of Adam, um, and I don't know how much you know the story, but basically he, he, he gets murdered. And you think, well, what type of story of hope is that? Well, here's, here's the point of the story of hope in, in, in there, because right at the beginning when there is sin and brokenness and evil in the world, God says, I saw it. Cain is marked out. The blood of Abel cries for justice. So right away, at the beginning of the Bible, it's saying this idea that this will not be the last word. There will be justice in the world. The blood will carry out. And then we go on to the story of Enoch, who walked so close to God that God miraculously took him to heaven. But the whole point of it is that Abel, Enoch, because he walked close to God, was able to walk differently in the world. Then we go on to stories that we know better, the story of Noah and the flood. Now, that's a remarkable story because not only did Noah 
know something that people around him didn't believe, that a flood was coming. Because he knew it, he lived in a way that was completely different. He did something that nobody understood. It was totally countercultural. Folks said, that's nuts. What a waste of resources, building an ark. Why don't you build a pub? We'd like that much better. But Noah was building that ark, not just because he knew the future promises, but because actually he wanted to do something that would save humanity from what was to come. And that, again, is a, is a sign of when you know the future, it changes how you live. It changes how you're willing to be different. It changes how you're willing to do something that's going to make a difference. And then we go on to the story of Abraham. Because he was given a future promise, he left his homeland. He went on a journey. And here's the big thing about Abraham. Abraham was told, here's the promise. You will have lots and lots of children and descendants and a mighty big land. How much of it did Abraham get? In his lifetime, he got one son. And he had to hope and believe a lot to get that. That's not a mighty nation. And you know how much land Abraham owned when he died? None. He had to beg a cave to bury his wife. All he had was the promise, and that promise was fulfilled beyond his lifetime that the children of Israel would be more numerous than the grains of sand. You know, here's one of the lessons of what Hebrews is teaching us, and this is important. Faith isn't just about a sort of cupboard love which says, well, God's promised me stuff, and if I do it, I'll get God's promises. You know, some of the stories in the Old Testament we can take and, 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 and read in that way. Uh, I, I, we used to sing a song when I was in Sunday school, Dare to be a Daniel. Yeah? And the whole story of Daniel was dare to be brave for God. Because even if you end up in the lion's den, God will rescue you from the lion's den. You think that's fantastic. It's brilliant. Believe God's promises. And when the scary lions come in your life, they won't harm you. Brilliant. Or, or, or you can think about David, and David stands up to Goliath, and he, he, you know, the, the sling and the, the giant falls, and you think there's a real story about standing up to bullies, and the bullies will come tumbling down. Here's the thing, though, folks. When you stand up to bullies, you often end up with a bloody nose, not with the bully coming tumbling down. When you take a brave stance, you don't often get the lion's mouth shut. Sometimes they eat you. And Hebrews makes this very, very clear as well, because after talking about all the fantastic things that folk got, they had the promises, they won the battles, and, and God was with them, the, the writer says, well, well, wait a minute, I, I better actually show folk the other side of that as well, because he goes on to say, oops, I've slipped about nine slides ahead here. No, I haven't. He goes on to say, oops. Oh, forget it. But he goes on to say, if you read the chapter, go home and read chapter 11. There's your homework. Save me put it on the screen. But he goes on to say, actually, some of these folk went through horrible things and died. You know, we think if we're faithful to God, he'll keep his promises and, and the end of the story will be good. Take the story of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was told, here is what is going to happen, and you have to tell people the future, and, and it was a message of judgment and hope. Do you know how many people Jeremiah got to believe him? None. 
If Jeremiah was planting a church today, nobody would have joined it. Not one person. And we think if we're faithful to God, he'll build up the church. No. Be like Jeremiah, really faithful to God. Nobody believed him. And all the judgment he was trying to get people to avoid, it all fell down. It all came. And in fact, that's the story of Jeremiah. It goes beyond the Bible. One of the, the, the stories of Jeremiah is he ended up thrown down a well. We know that from the Bible. But then one of the legends of Jeremiah is that he ended up being sawn in two. Here's the point. Nothing that he was promised came true in his lifetime. In fact, all he got was misery. But he kept going because Jeremiah saw a future that was even beyond that. A plan of God that he was part of. Jeremiah got glimpses of the hope and the restoration that was to come. And the word of Jeremiah is still inspiring people today. And we can say that of all, of all the prophets There is so much that we can look at here. To be like Abraham, willing to let go of one land and travel to a new place. To be like Noah, enabled to live differently, to say things which might be terribly unpopular because you know where God is taking the whole of humanity to share these things. This is what it means to have hope. This is what it means to see the Christian future. Yes, we do not despair, and we do not live for the moment, but we are not sitting back. Rather, it leads us on. And if these people in the Old Testament who saw only a little bit of God's coming promise were able to do all of that, how much more those who know of the coming of the Messiah, of the one who gave his life that our sins might be forgiven, that all the promises of the Old Testament pointed to, the one that rose from the dead, that said that the world will be renewed and there will be new hope in Jesus Christ. And therefore, as Christians, when things are tough, when we fail, we never lose hope because hope is to be certain of those things that we do not see. We must accept finite disappointment, but we never lose infinite hope. Those are the words of Martin Luther King. Today, may you be restored in your hope. It is sometimes difficult. It is one of the reasons that we come to worship week by week. Not just that we might be together and strengthen one another, but as we do that, we might be reminded and reminded and reminded and reminded of that hope that we have until it begins to seep into our being. It changes us from despair. It changes us from inaction. It changes us from living for the short term, from living for the things that we enjoy for the moment into straining our eyes towards that goal which we have in Christ Jesus, the goal of the resurrection, the goal of a new world that we work for in the midst of this one. May God fill you with that hope today.